Drake Morant with a running start. Elevate. Oh, it does. Oh, my goodness. Tie game in overtime. Gasol will turn. tell if there are any punches being thrown under there but Griffin took exception to something the officials break it up quickly see he just locked his arm and then kind of pulled him over Zach falls down and then you know what a little elbow there oh he's digging the elbow yeah welcome to grits and grinds a Memphis Grizzlies podcast on the blue wire podcast network my name is Keith Parrish I hope you're enjoying your offseason. I mean, sure, the NBA playoffs are still going on, but with the Grizzlies eliminated, we transition as fans and as this podcast into full offseason mode, trying to plan out what the Grizzlies need on their roster, looking at free agents, looking at trade targets, looking at draft prospects, and just basically trying to determine the direction of this franchise. That is the challenge for Zach Kleiman in the front office is how do you continue to get better? How do you continue to sustain success? How do you achieve your long-term goals of eventually winning a title? And then what are the best opportunities? And then how do you recognize those opportunities when they present themselves as this is the moment this is the time we need to make this deal, or this is the time we need to sign this player. It's a tricky path to walk. And it seems like as sports analysts and as sports fans, we don't want to recognize that luck plays a huge role in it. Title windows open up seemingly randomly sometimes. Injuries, you can't control for them mostly. So the challenge for every NBA front office is to Do as many things correctly as you can to maximize your opportunity so that you're one of those teams maybe who can get lucky, who is good enough to compete. Right now in the Western Conference, still alive in the playoffs, you have the Jazz and the Suns and the Nuggets and the Clippers. All of those teams made moves and traded first-round picks to get where they are. In the Suns' case, in the Nuggets' case, in the Jazz's case, Those guys drafted well, and you could argue got lucky. The Jazz drafted Gobert pretty late. They got Donovan Mitchell later in the lottery. The Suns got Devin Booker a little later than you would consider getting that kind of an all-star. Mikhail Bridges as the 10th pick is a huge reason for their success. The Nuggets, I mean, they got the MVP, Nikola Jokic, with the 41st pick. The Clippers are the exception. The Clippers traded everything they had the entire cupboard full of first-round picks, future first-round picks, and first-round swaps to get Paul George, which then meant they could sign Kawhi Leonard. But all those teams did all those things, and none of them are guaranteed the title. They could all lose to the Nets, or even the Bucks, which looks unlikely, or the Sixers. All of those teams were not the favorite to win the title for most of the season. That was the Lakers. But these teams all put themselves in a position to be one of the five best teams. And then at that point, okay. In my estimation, you have to get lucky. And of all those teams I mentioned right now, obviously only one's going to win the title. And then there's no guarantee any of those teams are back next year 
competing for a title. We think they're going to, but it's really hard to win titles. And it is extraordinarily hard to win titles when you don't have one of the best five players in the NBA on your team. That's the boat the Grizzlies are in. That's the boat the Grizzlies are probably always going to be in. As excited as we all are about John Morant, I don't think many of us are envisioning him being first-team All-NBA. Not to say that he can't be, but we're not sure what that model is. Like a really good John Wall, like an unbelievable Kevin Johnson, perhaps he could be first-team All-NBA one year. But I think more realistically, as you're planning what the Grizzlies are going to do and as they're coming up with their strategy for the future, you're not planning on him being an MVP candidate, which is one reason, among many reasons, I don't think the Grizzlies are going to make a massive move this summer. I don't think there's going to be a blockbuster deal this summer. There could be, but one of the reasons I think there probably isn't is because we still don't know exactly what the ceiling is on John Morant. And I don't think you want to push all your chips in before you do. We also, as I've spelled out the last couple episodes, we learned very little about Jaron Jackson Jr. this year. So without knowing exactly what Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to do, I would be extremely hesitant to trade away any future assets to build around him if we're penciling him in. I think as fans, we get carried away of like, okay, let's make a massive deal for this guy. Let's trade our two future first-round picks because we have a good team and we have these needs. We need scoring and we need half-court creation and we need shooting and maybe uh, another superstar or an all-star to pair with Ja and Jaron. And we get carried away penciling in Ja Moran as being like, okay, he's going to be um, an all-NBA type performer and Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be an all-star performer. So all we need now is a third star. That is way too many assumptions. Unfortunately, I think the prudent thing to do for the Grizzlies is a little more data accumulation. I don't think this is the year to make a big splash. It's certainly probably not the year to make an off-season splash. If you go into next year and you say, oh, wow, Jaron Jackson Jr. is awesome. John Morant made another leap. Then you can probably get something even better. Also, look at the history of recent trades. I feel like the purchasing power of a future first is greater at the trade deadline than it is in the offseason. That isn't always true, but you saw like James Harden. Maybe that was a weird situation. He gets traded during uh, the regular season, but like you see the Bucks pay so many future first-round picks for Drew Holiday. You see the Trailblazers in the offseason trade two first-round picks for Robert Covington. If the Blazers wait during the regular season, two first-round picks, who knows what you could get or what you could shake free. So I think the Grizzlies are in a situation where you are going to try to see what opportunities are out there. If you can find someone who fits the timeline of John Morant, well, then maybe you would do it. But who are we talking about here? Who's the specific player in the NBA we're talking about? Is like, is it Bradley Beal? Because he's 27? Don't think we're getting Bradley Beal. And it's probably not a smart idea to go all in on Bradley Beal before you know more about your current roster. If Jaron Jackson Jr. had a huge year this past season, if Brandon Clark made some kind of leap, and then you're thinking, wow, the time to strike is now because we're close as a franchise to being a contender. And if we go ahead and pair up another all-star who's not on our roster currently with our current group of guys, 
we can have a long run of sustained success. That is not, that is not where the Grizzlies are. So this episode, I'm going to spell out for you where I think the Grizzlies are. I'm going to go over the roster, remind you in case you forgot that they basically have an entire team already under contract for next year. So there aren't many roster spots open for free agency or to add extra players through trades. I'm also going to go over the big questions this offseason, including like my rubric for whether or not you make a big deal or you make a trade or you sign a player. And then we're going to look at the Justice Winslow team option and go over the Jaron Jackson Jr. extension and also the Grayson Allen possible extension. So let's look at the current roster right now as far as who the Grizzlies are going to carry into next season. Guess what? It's everyone. Or everyone except for Tim Frazier. Sorry, buddy. This Grizzlies current team from 2021, they are all under contract for next season. The only one who's not under contract yet, I mean, obviously the Justice Winslow with a team option for $13 million next year. And then Jonte Porter, who has a very small partial guarantee. So of the 15 players on the Grizzlies regular roster that they ended the season with, only Tim Frazier is certainly gone. So that's 14. But you're going to draft a player in the NBA draft with your first round pick. And that puts your roster back at 15. 15 is the maximum roster size. Because of this, most people think that Jonte Porter is gone. He's shown nothing in the last, I guess, 18 months. I mean, the whole past season, he signed in the offseason before the bubble in 2020. So I think they're probably going to let him go. And that would give the Grizzlies 14 players under roster. That's counting a draft pick, which has not happened yet. And that's including Justice Winslow in the conversation. So outside of a big trade, there will not be a massive overhaul of the roster. The Grizzlies have these guys locked down. You have John Morant, two years left on his rookie deal. You have Jaron Jackson Jr. entering the last year of his rookie deal and up for an extension. You have D'Anthony Melton, three years left on his contract. You have Dylan Brooks, two years left on his contract. You have Desmond Bain, three years left on a rookie deal. Xavier Tillman, three years left on a rookie deal. Brandon Clark, two years left on a rookie deal. You have Grayson Allen, a year left on his rookie deal. Then you have Conchar, who has either a one, two, or three-year contract. It's all partial guarantees. So he's got a couple years left if the Grizzlies want to keep him. And then you have maybe the veteran guys. You have Tyus Jones, Jonas Valanciunas, and Kyle Anderson. All of them are entering the final years of their contracts this coming season. So that is 12 guys. Number 13 is Winslow. Number 14 is the 17th pick in the draft. I guess they could trade up. They could trade down. But if they use that 17th pick or if they draft anyone in the first round, that's another person on a rookie deal where they can have team control of him for up to four years. Now, if I'm ranking all of those players as assets, which is something that I think Grizzlies writers enjoy doing, here's mine. This is my ranking of whether or not I would trade you, essentially, from most valuable player on the Grizzlies roster to least valuable player. All of these things are considering a player's potential, the player's contract, how many years are left on the contract, a player's age. I guess age and potential are pretty closely 
intertwined. Obviously, one is John Morant. Two, then you have Jaron Jackson Jr. Now you get a big glut of um, youngish guys where I think there's a good solid debate to be had, and I'm not going to be upset or mad with any of you for disagreeing with the rankings here as long as you have them kind of all bunched up. For me, number three, it's DeAnthony Melton, which is probably not a surprise because I'm insane about the guy, but he's 22 years old. I think he has the highest potential on the team outside of John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. He still has three years left on his deal, and it's a descending contract. He already got paid the most he was going to get paid in a year last year as far as the four years of the contract. So I have him just nosing out these other guys. I have Dylan Brooks fourth. I have Desmond Bain fifth. And then I wasn't sure what to do. I basically have Xavier Tillman, Brandon Clark, and Kyle Anderson all essentially the same. I value the upside of Tillman and Clark. I think they're good, versatile bigs that can switch on defense, which is very important. Once you get to the playoffs, we saw Jonas Valanciunas exposed in that area. And that's a reason why Jonas Valanciunas is not in my top nine of most important Grizzlies going forward. Or if I was offered a trade, I would value keeping Clark and Tillman and Kyle Anderson over Valanciunas because I think those guys, Clark, Tillman, and Anderson, all have the versatility and skill set to play alongside uh, many other players and to play many different styles of both defense and offense. And personally, I value that a little bit more. And of course, you have to consider that Valanciunas is going to be an unrestricted free agent after next season. Also, I guess I could stress again, Anytime I'm ranking things when it comes to basketball, I don't feel passionate about it. <laughs> if you're mad about it, cool. I, you probably can make an argument that I would agree with. Uh, tenth, I have Grayson Allen. This mild upset over Tyus Jones, over John Conchar. Those are my top 12. The reason I have Bain and Brooks and Melton maybe over Tillman and Clark is I think wing play and shooting is more important and harder to acquire. That's another reason I have Jonas Valanciunas a little bit lower. Finding a replacement center, basically the easiest thing to do in the NBA. The Wizards got Daniel Gafford at the trade deadline last year for Troy Brown Jr. And Daniel Gafford can play 25 minutes of high-impact basketball for you. And also there seems to be basically numerous centers every year who are near the minimum who can give you adequate center play. Finding a 6'5 wing who can make 40% of his NBA three-pointers without being a huge liability on defense, that's much harder to do. Those guys are not lying around. That's why I value having a Desmond Bain a little bit more. That's why, again, even when Dylan Brooks was bad, when he was having terrible shooting stretches, he's still a guy who can play defense, who can score. Those are hard to come by. There's a dearth of those in the NBA. You don't give away wings. You don't get rid of wings for no reason. You can, on the other hand, get rid of bigs. And then 13th, I have Justice Winslow. So let's talk about the options for Justice Winslow. If the Grizzlies decline his $13 million team option, they could have up to $23 million or so in cap space this summer. That's enough money to make a competitive offer, probably, for someone like Tim Hardaway Jr., or for someone like DeMar DeRozan. It should be more than enough money for someone like Evan Fournier. 
But the decision to exercise that option on Justice Winslow and create that cap space is not that clear-cut or simple. In a vacuum, is Justice Winslow worth $13 million to an NBA roster next season? No. But these contracts are not in a vacuum. The value of NBA contracts is all about context. For example, if you said, hey, Justice Winslow is making $13 million, you're like, okay, that, that, that's an overpay. But then if you look at the entire Grizzlies team, you say, hey, the Grizzlies are paying Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, D'Anthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, and Justice Winslow with $44 million combined next year. They're paying those guys an average of $9 million a year. That's incredible. Like, that's great. That's objectively great. That's one of those reasons you can overpay guys in the NBA when some of your best players are on rookie deals or when you have a lot of guys on rookie deals. That's one of the reasons the Dallas Mavericks have kind of screwed up the last couple seasons. You had Luka Doncic already playing at an MVP or a near MVP level on a rookie scale deal. Going forward, you have to pay him a max. But paying Justice Winslow $13 million for one season when basically uh, the top 10 guys in your rotation are only making like $90 million? I didn't add that up. That's just a guess. It's not a big deal. And then you have to consider that he is, despite how bad this last season was, he's still a rotation-level NBA player. And if you get rid of him, are you finding another rotation-level NBA player to replace him? Possibly not. Like, yes, you would have cap space to do some things, but it is not guaranteed that you would find, I don't know, a wing with his size who's a better defender than him. And the free agent market is so barren of guys you might want to sign that guys that I mentioned, like DeRozan and Tim Hardaway Jr., they're going to be so in demand that do the Grizzlies want to overpay them? Do the Grizzlies want to sacrifice potential max salary cap space next season? when maybe Tyus Jones, Jonas Valanciunas, or Kyle Anderson move on? Do they want to sacrifice all of that for Evan Fournier? When you're not even sure what you're going to be next year because you have so many questions about Ja and Jaron and Brandon and Xavier and Dylan and Mel? No, you don't. Or at least probably you don't. I mean, I can be convinced that, hey, let's, let's spend two years on Evan Fournier just because we can. All right. Uh, doesn't, don't, I guess I don't hate it. But if you aren't sure you're going to do anything this offseason, or if you're almost certain you're not going to make a big splash with one of these few free agents, well, then the idea of keeping Winslow makes a little more sense. And then you consider his contract actually is very good for making trades. So that's a, that's a huge deal for this as well. The Grizzlies do not have much matching salary when it comes to making trades because you like all your players. They're all fairly compensated. Unless you want to move Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson and Jonas Valanciunas or Dylan Brooks, you can't match the salary for a big trade. Now, in the offseason, if they do decline Justice Winslow's salary and you have cap space, you then can make a trade where the salaries don't match as long as it fits under the salary cap. So that is an option for the Grizzlies. But exercising Winslow's team option makes sense to me on the one hand because He's a worthwhile rotation player. You need wing defenders, and he is that. You can get another look at him, and then you have his salary if you potentially need it to trade for something. But even though I said all that, I think my personal leaning right now is probably to decline the option 
just to create another roster spot because I don't know where he's actually going to play in the rotation. As the roster currently stands, there are multiple guys I would rather see play over him. I was a huge Justice Winslow fan, if you remember. I was excited about the trade. I really liked him in Miami. I thought he would be a good player. So part of me, I'm split. Part of me wants to see him get another opportunity, and I want to see if he can gel and fit with this Grizzlies team. But the fit is not perfect. And even if you don't use your salary cap space on a free agent, one of the things the Grizzlies could do is use their salary cap space maybe to take on a bad contract like they did with the Andre Iguodala deal and get another, accrue another future asset. Will some team pay you to take a bad contract next year? And would that be prudent of the Grizzlies to do that? Possibly. So again, the Justice Winslow issue is not cut and dried. It is complex. And it's just one of the many tough decisions for the Grizzlies. Another one is going to be this Jaron Jackson Jr. extension. I'll get to that right after the break. All right, Jaron Jackson Jr. is eligible for an extension. I think it's going to be difficult for the team and Jaron Jackson Jr.'s representatives to get something worked out because of this lost season from Jaron. And I don't know how you're going to come up with a dollar value that Jaron and his representatives are comfortable with that makes sense financially for the Grizzlies. A lot of the numbers I've seen thrown out, I I wouldn't do personally. Based on Jaron's second year, it looked like he was trending to be a guy who would probably demand a maximum extension, like a five-year, $160 million deal. But with what he showed last year and with his continued injury issues, no chance you do that. I would actually think Jared would want to probably bet on himself having a good season next year to increase that value because you normally have to overpay. Like the guys who signed max extensions off their rookie deals last season was Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Bam Adebayo, and Jaron Fox. So Jaron's nowhere close to Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Bam Adebayo, He would probably argue De'Aaron Fox is a similar comp, but De'Aaron Fox has way fewer questions than Jaron Jackson Jr. I think some numbers that are thrown out are like four-year, $100 million. I wouldn't do that. I'm not locking in Jaron Jackson Jr. for that at all. And I'm not even sure he would accept that, which is why I think the odds of an extension look unlikely to me. But the Grizzlies have had very good success getting extensions recently like the Dylan Brooks extension, the DeAnthony Melton extension. Those were incredible numbers. Even the Jonas Valanciunas extension. All of those contract extensions for the Grizzlies, I think, are huge wins for the franchise. One of the reasons I wouldn't do this big extension for Jaron Jackson Jr. is you would be paying him for what you hoped he became. The odds of him outplaying a max contract, near zero. In a salary cap league to win, you usually need your players to outperform their contracts. When you have guys on the rookie scale deals, it's easy to outperform that contract. The Grizzlies have done a great job of just compiling contracts for like the middle class of player, like good players who are giving you value, like Jonas Valanciunas, but also Kyle Anderson, Tyus Jones. All of those are great deals. On a max contract, Jaron Jackson Jr. might never outplay that. It's similar to when Mark Gasol and Mike Conley paid a max, were paid a max contract. You 
paid those guys because you didn't have any other option and because they were your franchise icons and they were very, very good. And I mean, Mark Gasol made an all-NBA team and, uh, you know, he was good. But to be clear, you're not winning a title, probably, if Mark Gasol and Mike Conley are both making the max because, you know, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry are also making the max and they're way better. And the Grizzlies right now have to consider, well, we know we're giving John Moran a max. Like, that's happening unless, you know, catastrophe, injury, or something. So you know in a couple more seasons, John Morant absolutely getting a max. I don't think you want to lock in Jaron for that number. But, like, what's a number you would lock in as an NBA team? The recent history of big men signing extensions, uh, like, there haven't been that many, honestly. You had Bam Adebayo. He signed a max deal, but he'd already demonstrated he was an all-star level player. This last season, uh, Jared Allen did not sign an extension. John Collins of the Hawks. Both of those guys, John Collins and Jared Allen, have proven more than Jaron Jackson Jr. at this point. Neither one of those guys could agree on an extension. Lowry Markinen, who had a terrible season for the Bulls, and his value has never been lower. Obviously, he did not agree to an extension because, again, the Bulls weren't going to pay him for his bad year, and he's not going to lock himself into a low contract based on the bad year he had last season. He thinks he has a better option in free agency, in restricted free agency, probably to make some money. Now, the previous season, DeMontis Sabonis signed an extension. Sabonis had already shown much more than Jaron Jackson Jr. has, but obviously Sabonis is a little older. So you're still paying for some potential with Jaron Jackson Jr. Sabonis' extension was... Four years, $75 million. Okay, now we're talking. The season before that, Miles Turner signed an extension for four years, $72 million. Again, that's more in the neighborhood of what I'd be comfortable with if I'm the Grizzlies. I don't know if Jaron Jackson Jr. would do that. Maybe he would. The Grizzlies got Dylan Brooks to sign low. He's wrapped up for now two more years, about $25 million. They got D'Anthony Melton to sign low. D'Anthony Melton signed four-year, $32 million. So the great thing about the Brooks extension and the D'Anthony Melton extension was the Grizzlies locked them in at a number where basically if those guys never improved, you're still comfortable with it. They'd already shown, if, if we don't get better at all, paying Dylan Brooks $11 million or $12 million, million a year is not going to hurt your franchise whatsoever. You're still going to be able to trade him. It's not going to hurt your overall cap figure. Same with Melton. If those guys improve, then you have these incredible value deals, and that appears to be what the Grizzlies have. So whether or not Jaron would accept something like four years, $72 million that Miles Turner signed, or the seventy-five that Sabonis... Also, what about OG Ananobi? Last year, OG Ananobi, who is way better than Jaron Jackson Jr. Like, what are the odds, do you think, out there, dear listener, that Jaron Jackson Jr. becomes better than OG Ananobi? Right now, I think the odds are not great. He could. Again, Jaron's just 21, been struggling with injuries, youngest guy in the Grizzlies rotation. He could still become, I mean, he could still become a multiple-time All-Star. We don't know. But if you're banking on him becoming better than OG Ananobi, I don't know if the odds are great. And if Ananobi signs a four-year $72 million deal last year with the player option on the end, which is important, like would the Grizzlies offer Jaron Jackson Jr.? That 
where they offer him four years with the player option. Then it's risky. Then unrestricted free agency hits a lot sooner. It's going to be a challenge for Zach Kleiman to know what's the best for the Grizzlies franchise. If Jaron continues to struggle with both injuries and fouls and shoots, you know, 35% on three-pointers as opposed to 39% on three-pointers, it's not a guy you really want to be paying $20 million a year. Maybe they look towards the Jonathan Isaac extension that the Magic did last year where he signed a four-year $80 million deal, although there's a lot of outs for the Magic there based on how many games Jonathan Isaac plays. Would something like that be workable for Jaron Jackson Jr.? The decision will come down to, I think, from Jaron Jackson Jr., how much money does he want to lock in and guarantee or how much does he believe he could have a big year next year and then be poised for a much bigger payday after that. Grayson Allen is the other guy who could get an extension, and I don't know what the odds are this happens. It seems like they could, if they decide they're not going to be a player in free agency this year, maybe they decide that they're going to exercise Justice Winslow's team option, and you're not going to use your cap space. You might just use a, the mid-level exception or something. Then maybe they will lock in Grayson Allen. I would guess at like similar money to what D'Anthony Melton got, like a seven or eight million dollars a year. I don't think he's going to get double digits. I don't think you're paying him over ten million dollars a year. I don't think there's an example of kind of the undersized, smallish shooting guards making that much money. Like you saw, Bryn Forbes made basically nothing last year. I think Bryn Forbes signed like a two-year, $9 million deal. Like he's not going to make more money than Tony Snell makes in this offseason. So if Grayson wants to lock in, you know, three years, $20 million or something, maybe he would do that. I'd say there's maybe pretty good chance of that actually happening. But anyway, let's close up with, again, I was talking about how like what rubric you should use when you're, when you're coming up with these trades or when you're thinking about like should the Grizzlies trade two first-round picks or something, because we know the Grizzlies are in possession of all their future first-round picks right now. They also have an additional first-round pick from the Jazz next season. They own the Jazz's pick. It's top six protected. That pick is not looking super good because the Jazz seem incredible. If the Jazz retain Mike Conley, you assume they'll be very, very good again next season. But then the Grizzlies down the line have the Warriors 2024 pick. That's only top four protected. That's a very juicy pick right now. That could be a very, very valuable pick. So the Grizzlies have this beautifully clean salary cap sheet. They have all their picks plus two extras as far as the first rounders. And I think our tendency as fans is to have an itchy trigger finger and to think like, could we get, could we shake free Zach Levine? Could we shake free Bradley Beal? Um, I will say when, when you're considering a trade or you're considering you know, spending a lot of money in free agency. I think what you need to do or, and what the Grizzlies need to do themselves is you look at the player and you say, how does this player fit with John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr.? That might seem obvious, but if Jaron reaches his full potential and Ja reaches his full potential, how does this potential other player that we might acquire fit with those guys? And if the fit is not ideal, if the fit is like, oh, Jeremy Grant, like, I could see that. He's a good scorer on the wing, but maybe it wouldn't work great on defense and rebounding and like who's in the front court. Is he going to play the three? Like if the fit is not immediately ideal, perfect. No, thanks. We're good. We will wait for something better to come along. Or if it's like, Hey, let's, let's sign DeMar DeRozan. We need half court shot creation. And admittedly, the idea of DeMar DeRozan on the Grizzlies really appeals to me a lot. 
I know he has like a negative on-off net rating swing basically every season of his entire career, but he's so good at creating his own shot and he's so efficient and he seems like the kind of guy that like the Grizzlies could lean on. But DeMar DeRozan is not a good shooter at all as far as like a floor spacer, a three-point shooter. And you're saying, oh, can we get along with a subpar defensive backcourt of Ja and DeMar DeRozan with them both being subpar shooters? Eh, that's not an ideal fit. And at this point of the Grizzlies' life cycle, their team-building cycle, if it's not an ideal, I'm talking an absolute perfect fit, no thanks, I'm, I'm good. Like, we're going to wait. We're going to sit on these first-round picks. We might eventually just use them ourselves. We're not going to overreach one of those scenarios. Another one that I think is tough is like, like what if CJ McCollum was available? And CJ McCollum is not necessarily available. CJ McCollum's not a great defender. But he is a volume three-point shooter. He is a proven playoff killer. He is a 25-point-per-game scorer that I think would be absolutely awesome on the Grizzlies. I think that question is much harder. Should you give the Trailblazers a future first? The Trailblazers probably want to keep winning. They have Damian Lillard. They're not blowing things up. Can you give them a future asset and another good player? Well, then now it gets confusing. Or now it gets even harder to figure out. If you want to be really bold as a franchise or you want to think maybe a little bit outside the box, the Grizzlies can look at their roster and say, what if we sold high on some guys? The Grizzlies have multiple players coming off career seasons. Do you think Dylan Brooks' stock will ever be higher than it is right now after the playoff performance he put in? Jonas Valanciunas had a career season, averaged 17 points per game, 12 and a half rebounds per game. Could you get a team like the Kings to give you a bunch of future stuff because they're chasing regular season wins? Kyle Anderson had a career year. He's going into the last year of his deal on the Grizzlies. Could you flip him into something better? Even Grayson Allen had a career year. You have Grayson Allen, Kyle Anderson, Jonas Valanciunas, who all have expiring contracts. Could those guys be traded for something else? Now, there's a big human cost for this Grizzlies team. Extremely young roster, extremely close. I have a lot of affection for Jonas Valanciunas. He is delightful as a human being, as far as I can tell. Would trading him negatively affect the locker room? It's very possible. But in a cold and calculating world, if you're just looking at the spreadsheets and the data, and you say, all right, the Grizzlies have gone as far as they can go with Jonas being one of your main cogs. Like you basically, it's really hard to get out of the first round of the playoffs with a center similar to Jonas Valanciunas. And if you have Xavier Tillman and Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr., is now the time to trade a guy like that to trade Jonas Valanciunas? Like what could you get, again, theoretically, for Jonas and Dylan and Kyle uh, plus a first round pick? As fans, we often recoil at those things. And like, I'm not acting like I'm not bothered by the idea. I'm excited about a future with Dylan and Kyle. I think the goal is to add more good players, not get rid of the good players you have. But I do think intellectually that exercise is interesting to say, like, what if you actually gave up things and what if you were convinced they maybe wouldn't be as good as this ever again? But also, we're thinking theoretically, like, who are these players? And again, I don't know who... Is it always just Bradley Beal as far as a trade? Is it always a, a Zach Levine? I mean, 
Jalen Brown? Is Jalen Brown available? Are the Celtics selling stuff? Like, if Jalen Brown's available, okay, now maybe we do trade uh, literally everything we have. But if you're thinking of these trades, even if you're not willing to trade away um, one of the main rotation guys, you want to make sure, again, it's an ideal, perfect fit. And also, this player has to have an ideal and perfect, totally clean bill of health. I'm not interested in any player who has any form of health question because right now the Grizzlies' future is totally wide open. I'm not saddling them with, I don't know, Christoph Porzingis. I'm not saddling, I'm not interested in trading for Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon has injury question marks. This is why I had no interest in like, like Oladipo was very available last year. I wouldn't have given anything for Oladipo. I have a zero tolerance policy right now with my Grizzlies dreams of attaching a player with any injury question marks. Maybe I'm scarred from Justice Winslow. Maybe I'm scarred from Chandler Parsons. But while this core is so young, while you have John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman and Brandon Clark and De'Anthony Melton and Dylan Brooks, you have all those guys for the next at least two seasons, probably three or four or five seasons. We're not in a rush to do anything. So it has to be an ideal fit. There can't be injury questions. And then the final question if I'm going to make a big deal is, does this make me a contender? Does this make me at least as good as the Suns, Jazz, Nuggets, Clippers, and Lakers going into next year? If it doesn't, well, then no, I'm not trading anything. I'm not giving up a future first-round pick to be seventh. The Grizzlies were eighth this year. I'm not trading a future first-round pick to bring in Miles Turner to then, you know, be the eighth seed again. I'm waiting until the time is right to strike where I think the Grizzlies can become a contender. Anyways, I'm sure we will revisit all these things in the coming weeks. I'll also lay out very soon, next week probably, uh, all the free agent, the potential free agents who are available. We'll go through them in depth, and then I'll start looking towards draft prospects. I love the offseason. So talking about team building is something I will keep doing. I'm curious to know uh, what you guys think. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter at FastBreakBreak with any Grizz's questions you might have or thoughts or disagreements about anything I said on this episode. But hope you guys are having a good one. Talk to you soon. Go Grizz. Go Grizz.